This is episode 216 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are 25 Things I Wish I Knew About Prepping When I Started Out and Gun Cleaning Basics, How to Clean a Gun in 7 Easy Steps. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from this podcast, we appreciate your kind reviews. Before we jump into our first article, I do want to just say a big thank you to Bob Cassidy who left uh, an iTunes review, a five-star review. He says, very informative. If you don't have time to read, this is a great way to learn about prepping, and the Christian point of view is greatly appreciated. And Bob, I greatly appreciate you leaving that comment. Uh, It really means a lot to me, so thank you so much. And uh, like I just said, I do appreciate all the the reviews that we get on, on iTunes. It really helps to get the message out there. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. Um, This first article, uh, you know, I was going to say this is a good one, but I always say that because they're they're all good, and I get the the, this privilege of being able to sift through all the articles that we post on Prepper website and pick out the best ones uh, to be able to uh, share with you on the podcast. And uh, so, you know, I say that pretty often because these these articles are really good. But this one comes to us from survivalsullivan.com, and the title is 25 Things I Wish I Knew About Prepping When I Started Out. Now, one of the things that I I really liked about this is that it provides a lot of information. So no matter where you are, I know that there's a lot of people that are new to preparedness coming to the podcast. I mean, you you found us on iTunes or you found us on some other podcast network, and uh, you've listened to a couple of episodes, and you're like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. And so this article was great for you, but it's also great for those of you who have been prepping for maybe one, two, maybe even five years, and for you to be able to, uh, you know, refocus and maybe, you know, even b- before you get way f- down the line there in, in preparedness, that maybe you can, uh, you know, regroup and uh, readjust. And so I think this is a great article for that. So let's go ahead and get get started on this one. Again, 25 things I wish I knew about prepping when I started out. In 2001, I was in my office at work and watched in horror with, with my colleagues as the second plane hit the towers and our world changed forever. Even hundreds of miles away, it was a devastating catastrophe. Just two short years later, in August of 2003, I was living just west of Cleveland when the Northeast blackout of August 2003 happened. I was lucky enough to get to the store for ice and batteries before it closed. A security guard at the door stopped me to tell me I had to wait until the previous customer came out before I could go in. They were only letting one customer in at a time. A line of people started to form behind me. When it was my turn, the guard waved me inside. The lights were out, but it was daylight, so there was enough light from the windows to see by. The cashier followed me as I got the things I needed and headed for the checkout. She added my items on a battery-powered calculator and gave me the total. I paid in cash, grateful I had just gotten paid, and had cash on me because without the power, with the power out, there weren't accepting anything else. 
As I came out of the store with my purchases, I heard the guard telling people in the back of the line, now stretched down the sidewalk, that the store was closing. The power was eventually restored, but that was it for me. I vowed I would never put myself or my children in that kind of situation again. I was going to be more prepared to hunker down for an extended power outage if it happened again. For the first time, I remember thinking, maybe those doomsday preppers aren't so crazy after all. I started reading about prepping and making lists. I had to admit my first instinct was to buy a lot of stuff. But I was living paycheck to paycheck back then, working a full-time job in the next county over, and just trying to make ends meet. I had to start small. I focused on food and I bought a few extra items each time I went to the store. I kept warm clothes and boots in my car in case I broke down. I stocked up on flashlights and batteries and I tried to keep my gas tank full instead of running on fumes. My parents and extended family were all almost an hour away. I had at least to be able to drive to where they were in an emergency. Despite my best intentions, there were so many mistakes I, like others, new to prepping made along the way. As I look back now, here are the 26 things I wish I knew about prepping when I started out. Number one, prepping is an industry. There are people who are in, prepping, in the prepping industry to make money. These people will use scare tactics and hype to sell the products. Preparedness is a smart strategy, but don't let yourself get caught up in the hype. Focus on what you need for your situation and family. Make a plan and stick to it. Remember that even small steps can make a huge difference. Number two, it's not all about gear. When I first started prepping, my instinct was to buy a whole bunch of gear. I printed off the checklist from the various websites and I started buying the gadgets everyone said were a must-have to survive. The problem was I didn't know how to use any of that gear. Most of it sat in the closet for over a year. If something had happened, I wouldn't have known how to use a lot of it. Number three, it's impossible to plan for every single disaster. No matter how good a prepper you are or how experienced you are, it's nearly impossible to plan for every type of situation or emergency that could happen. Focus on what is likely in your area first and foremost. Gradually build your knowledge and hands-on experience because that's what will help you adapt to whatever situation crops up. Number four, sometimes old really is better. Not everything sold by those in the prepping industry is a quality product. Some of it, especially pre-built bug-out bags and first aid kits, are poor quality items stuffed together to get you to pay more. Quality gear does make things easier, but only if you have the right skills and knowledge. When looking for gear and equipment, check your local flea markets, thrift stores, yard or garage sales, and estate sales. Older products are made better, more solid, better quality than new ones, and many times you get a much better bang for your buck. Number five, reducing debt is critical. To truly prepare for an SHTF event, you've got to get out from under any debt you might have. Work to pay off credit cards and save an emergency fund in cash. Start paying for everything with cash and consider taking a course such as the one by Dave Ramsey to help you become more financially stable. Number six, hygiene and sanitation is more than comfort. When I first started prepping, I didn't understand how critical personal hygiene and sanitation practices would be in an SHTF situation. Sure, it would be more comfortable to be able to shower daily and have access to a flush toilet, but I didn't believe it was life-threatening. It didn't take long to discover that poor hygiene and the shutdown of sanitation services 
are a main cause of illnesses, infection, and other diseases that can then spread quickly through cities after a natural disaster or an SHTF situation. Number seven, chances are you'll have to run, hike, or fight. During an SHTF event, chances are very good that at some point you will have to run, hike, or even fight to survive. Fitness, self-defense, and security can be life the life-saving difference in an SHTF situation. Many people prep for years before realizing how critical it is to prioritize physical fitness and stamina starting today. Number eight, companies lie about their products. See number one. Well, not all of them outright lie, but many companies are not above misleading customers into purchasing poor quality products. Advertising is very much an industry designed to get you to part with your hard-earned cash. Test everything yourself before you need to rely on it to save your life. Hey, let me just say something right there. I really, you know, a lot of people will contact me and say, hey, we'd like to advertise on your site. And so I send them the information that they ask for, but then I ask them for, you know, what are you advertising? And so I've turned down a lot of things over the years of things that I just know we're not, we're not going to do that. You know, that's not something that I want to, I want to promote, even if I'm going to make money off of it. I try not to do that. And so, um, there are a lot of things out there, but you know that's one reason why you buy on Amazon, you know, and you look at the reviews. And if you have 4.4 stars or 4.5 stars, or man, if you have a five star item and you have multiple reviews, you have reviews in the hundreds, you know that that's going to be a good product. I mean, when I when I buy on Amazon, that's what I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, that, that will help you make sure that you're not just buying junk out there. So, uh, you know, be aware and all that good stuff like you're, like you're reading here, but just know, you know, there are some things out there, but there are a lot of good things as well. Um, that, you know, you just do a little bit of research, just like everything else. All right. Number nine, disasters won't wait till I'm safe at home. The great stockpile and security system in the world won't help if you're stuck at work and the kids are trapped at school. Know local school evacuation plans and have a backup meeting place that is central for everyone. Practice getting to it from any location where you could be when SHTF because disaster can strike at any time, not just when you're safe at home. Number 10. Documenting identification and assets is critical. Following a natural disaster, even during an SHTF event, proving who you are might be not only necessary, but critical to maintaining your freedom. In addition, knowing what you own and being able to show documentation of model numbers and serial numbers or even photos may be critical to getting reimbursed by insurance companies or other disaster relief organizations. Now that's, uh, I'm hearing a lot of this, you know, because of Harvey down here in Houston. Now, I think they're they're being a little bit more lax, but for instance, I know uh, you know, I, I work with someone who uh the inspector came out and was looking for, you know, specific stuff and they're like, "Man, that that was taken out in in all the trash that was sitting out in the front yard and because it took y'all so long to get here, y'all didn't get to see it because the the county came and picked all that stuff up." But, you know, one of those, you know, they always say that, you know, videoing and taking pictures is your friend. Uh, Can you take pictures of every, you know, every serial number? Uh, Probably not. 
Can you take video of, of, of your contents? Yeah. Um, get the serial numbers of your most, you know, of your prized possessions. You know, if you have firearms and, and different things like that. And, and then you want to get that data and you want to put it in. Uh, you, maybe you want to copy that data and put it in a couple of different places so that uh, you'll have uh, your redundant copies of that. All right, number 11 is cabin fever makes people crazy. You and your family may end up holed up in an underground bunker, your basement, or even your own home without video games or television. You could be there for days, weeks, months, or even years with very little outside contact. Those of you with kids between the ages of 4 and 17, just let that sink in. No matter how well you and your family or group members get along, being cooped up in one place for weeks or months on end can wreak havoc. Plan for this and have board games, card games, books, and other non-electronic entertainment in your safe room or at your bug-out location. Number 12 is, bugging out isn't the first option or the best. For new preppers, it may seem like everyone is recommending bugging out in case of emergency. But, but not only is bugging out not the first option, for all but a rare few, it's not the best option either. Bugging out is extremely dangerous and should be a last resort only when you are certain that your home is no longer safe. And so you really need to think about that one. When you're bugging out, you're bugging out to another place. So, uh, you know, when people talk about bug out to the woods, that's probably not, definitely not a, a good um, solution for you. But when people talk about bugging out in 72 hour, you know, a 72 hour bug out bag or whatever, you are, you are with the intention, you're bugging out with the intention of getting to somewhere else. So you have family members that you're getting to, you have a retreat that you're getting to, uh, you know, you have a place that you're going to. And so I do agree that, you know, bugging in is usually the best uh, the best scenario, unless you you know you know you you think it's the big one or you have a safe place to go if you get out before everybody else. I mean, there's just a lot of things, and we've talked about that before on the podcast, and there's tons and tons of articles out there on that. But uh, you know, you really need to uh, the the bottom line for that one is you need to have a plan. Number thirteen is prepping is a bottomless pit. The more you learn about prepping, the more you will begin to realize that prepping can be a bottomless pit because it's impossible to predict with any certainty what the scenarios are that you may face or what can go wrong. Prepping is a never-ending and ongoing process. It's not something you do and forget about. It really is a lifestyle change. Number 15. Canned food weighs a lot. Look for lighter alternatives. Stockpiling cans of food or home canned food in jars is great if you're able to hunker down and ride out a natural disaster or SHTF event. But this kind of food weighs a lot. You'll not only need sturdy shelving to store it, but you'll need to look at lightweight food alternatives for your bug out bag in the event you need to bug out. Number 16. Waiting for doomsday can be depressing. The more time you spend learning about emergencies, disasters, and potential SHTF events, the easier it is to become overwhelmed and live from a place of continual fear. Don't let prepping consume your life. Focus on likely events in your area. Constantly waiting and anticipating a doomsday event can be depressing without balance. Don't forget to enjoy life in the present moment as you prepare for potential disasters. Number 17. Stockpiling cash won't save you. While it's a great idea and a critical necessity to have cash on hand when a disaster happens, stockpiling cash isn't the only answer. In cases where the power grid is down, cash may quickly become obsolete. 
Make sure that you are stockpiling physical items and learning skills so that you can use those to barter for items that you may need for your family following an SHTF event. Number 18. Special needs means special planning. Every family or group is different and your disaster planning must take into account any special needs that might impact your ability to survive during or following an SHTF or other event. There are lots of cookie cutter survival plans available, but make sure you customize your survival plan to accommodate any mobility restrictions, special dietary needs, or medical needs of your family. Number 19. For most, survival takes a village or at least a group. There are many different types of preppers out there. You'll read a lot of advice from individuals who believe that bugging out to the wilderness alone is the best policy. A few very experienced individuals could actually survive using this lone wolf strategy. But for most people, surviving long term will mean relying on extended family members, a community, or other trusted survival groups. You know, the more articles that I read for Prepper website, the more that, you know, number 19 here, uh, I, I'm, I'm reading less and less on the lone wolf aspect of it or even uh, the, you know, the, the couple or whatever. The more that I read the, the, the new, I guess the trend, I don't want to say the new, but the, the trend out there is more talking about a group and trying to, you know, trying to, to bring people together, people of like mindedness. Now, the issue is finding those people. That's. That's the big trick. That's the big uh, rub that everybody has, you know, trying to find someone uh, or trying to find a group of people that are like-minded that you can all uh, prepare together and depend on each other. But, uh, you know, that's that's where I see a lot more of uh, the articles for preparedness, you know, coming from uh, nowadays. Okay, so number 20 is talking too much really can kill you. Getting prepared is something to be proud of and can provide a sense of relief to know that when SHTF, you'll be ready. You may be tempted to share your knowledge and newfound lifestyle with other people you know. Choose the people you share information with carefully because talking too much really can kill you if you're not careful. When SHTF, that neighbor or cashier at the store, you told casually about your stockpile may just decide it's worth coming to your house to get food and water instead of fighting the hordes of people at the local store. Number 21. You'll need a plan B, C, and D. No matter how prepared you think you are, there are things that can go wrong in a bug out situation or even during a bug in situation. Your stockpile could be confiscated, your bug out route could be blocked, or someone could find your hidden cash, etc. Know in advance what these things could be and create backup plans so that you can adapt quickly to obstacles and pitfalls. Number 22. Solar power isn't just about lights. When it comes to planning for power during a grid down situation, most people think first about lighting. But solar power can come in handy for a wide range of activities after an SHTF situation, including alternative ways to cook, heat, and even stay warm. Make sure your solar power system is designed with all of these activities in mind so it will be adequate to sustain your family for the long term. Number 23. You really are going to use those school subjects. One of the most common complaints about our education system is that it teaches things that we won't use in everyday life. But when you begin to prep, you'll realize that many of those things you learned in school really will come in handy, including geography, physics, biology, chemistry, home economics, shop class, defensive driving, health education, and gym or physical education. Number 24. Practice might not make you perfect, but it will make you faster. 
One of the things that is important to realize about disaster situations is that many times it's acting quickly that can give you an edge over others and in some cases save your life. This is why you'll hear some people emphasizing that you get hands-on practice using the skills that you are learning or running evacuation or bug out drills. The first instinct for most people is to panic, emotions will run high, and everyone in your group may not be thinking clearly when disaster hits. There are also places to avoid going when SHTF, so you don't become a target or get caught up in hordes of desperate or violent people. The more you've planned out and actually practice what you do in specific situations, the more likely it is that your group will act on instinct and be able to take action quickly. Number 25. A plan and a budget helps keep you sane. The prepping lifestyle is never ending and it can be overwhelming. It's very easy to lose focus or get taken in by the latest prepping trend. If you have an overall plan and a budget for your prepping, it can help you stay focused and keep your sanity. Unfortunately, there's just no one-size-fits-all way to prepare for emergencies, disasters, or an SHTF event. And even when you do plan, you can be almost certain that something or maybe several things won't go as planned. But prepping is a great strategy that can certainly give you an edge in a bad situation. It's definitely worth it. As a much more experienced prepper now than I was several years ago, I hope some of these 25 things I wish I knew about prepping when I started will help you avoid some of these and other common mistakes preppers make. Okay, so I think in the article when I started reading, at one point it said 26 items or 26, yeah. And so maybe they uh, they deleted one because the... Uh, the article, the, the title is 25 things, and then within the article, there's one portion here uh, that says 26 things, and then it ends on 25 things. I guess I didn't catch that when I was rereading it for uh, for the podcast. But uh, there are 10 comments here, people kind of responding to uh, to different things and uh, you know uh, in the, in the comment section and there are a lot of links within this article that you'll definitely want to check out uh, if if one of these maybe one of these topics was interesting to you uh, you know some of these are linking to other other articles that are very informative and so I think this is a great article to kind of help someone out there so if you are new to preparedness like I said earlier if you are new to preparedness then you know go go you want to reread this one or, or listen to it again. And then if you have been prepping for a little while, then maybe uh, you, you want to go and, and read this or listen to it again and see if there's any, any uh, of your preparedness plans that need a little bit tweaking, you know, a little bit, uh, a little tweak here or whatever, uh, a little tweak there. And uh, then if you've been prepping for a long time, then it might be very valuable for you to come over to this article and drop uh, you know, some information in the comments like, hey, uh, you know, this is something that I've learned after 10 years of prepping. And uh, that would be, you know, some great advice to share or come over to the Facebook group and share it over there. We'd love to have that kind of information. We have people that have been prepping from all, uh, you know, all different times, you know, over there. And uh, so, you know, we'd love to have your expertise over there as well. All right. So again, that's uh, survivalsullivan.com. 25 things I wish I knew about prepping when I started out. All right, let's go ahead and move into our next article of the podcast. This one comes to us from the survivalistblog.net. That's uh, MD Creekmore's website over there. And the title is Gun Cleaning Basics, How to Clean a Gun in Seven Easy Steps. So I want to uh, I want to go ahead and read this one, and then I'm going to come right back right after that and just kind of say a few, you know, just one or two things really quickly. All right, so let's start this one. 
The secret to having a well-performing firearm is always keep it clean. It can't be overstated that always keep your firearm running well. You should keep the barrel free of dirt, debris, and other particles that have set after continued use. Some of the situations where you need to clean your gun would be after using it to shoot many rounds at a firing range or after using the gun in a duck hunting event that allowed some moisture or wet particles that could have seeped into the gun's barrel. Also, it is important for you to remember that before you clean your gun, you should first refer to your owner's manual. The manual can teach you how to clean the parts, how to dis disassemble them, and what pieces of the gun do what. This is especially important to know what kind of solvent or cleaning agent you're going to put on the gun. This is also needed to know how long to wait before you can clean your gun after use. Generally, it may be safe to clean the gun immediately after using it, but referring to your gun's manual is still a safer option. In the event you do not have the owner's manual, try finding it on the internet or seeking out help from a gun sales department. One thing that could be stopping you from cleaning your gun is the fact that you that it takes a bit more time and sometimes you catch yourself being lazy. In this article, we will explore some of the easy ways that you can keep your firearm clean without worrying about breaking it and without causing you to waste a lot of time doing so. A good firearm that's clean and calibrated well will prevent it from breaking down. And so we will also explore in this article the fun ways you can ensure this without overcomplicating you with details. So let's start. Number one, the first tip in cleaning a gun could not be simpler. Make sure the gun is unloaded and then prepare all the necessary items for cleaning, which includes solvent, rag, gun oil or lubricant, toothbrush or a bore brush, Q-tips, patches, cleaning rod that fits the caliber, jag, flashlight, and a microfiber for the final polish. You can do the cleaning quickly without consuming a lot of your important time if you get, it all, if you get all the necessary cleaning materials already at your disposal. While you're looking for these materials, why not play some music in the background to make it even more fun? Some people say that just the fact that they're arranging the materials together can provide a sense of fun and joy that only usually gets in tidying up a messy room. Fun, right? It's also important for you to prepare a flat table and a well-ventilated room before you start cleaning. When all the materials are ready and the gun has been field stripped, if applicable, then start the cleaning process dipping the brush into a little bit of the solvent. Afterwards, brush the solvent around and through the barrel. You need to set this aside for a while so you can let the solvent sink into the barrel. We'll come back to this part after the solvent has set in. You should let the cleaning agent sort of cook first before you can do anything else on it. The second step in this cleaning process would be to clean the frame of the gun. To do, to do this, you would need to get the mechanics rag and thoroughly wipe off all the gunk that you can take from the frame. It is important for you to remember that you can't use any solvent to clean the gun's frame because the chemicals in the solvent can create a whole giant mess on the frame that will be worse off than when you started cleaning it. The third step in cleaning the gun is to use the Q-tips and swipe it around the gun's rails as well as the hard to reach areas of the gun, which includes the nooks and crannies that only a Q-tip can touch. Make sure that you also get all the dirt out of the inside of the gun. The grime accumulated there could affect how your gun performs and wiping off is a great help not to make this happen. The next step would be to get rid of the recoil spring and use the dry rag you had to rub off all the gunk in the gun. You can also just use the toothbrush and rub it against the springs of the gun to make sure that all the hard to reach dirt is taken off. Number five. 
After the barrel is done cooking, with the help of the solvent, you're now ready to clean it. To do this, you have to run your brush through all the areas inside and around it. Afterwards, you can wipe off the outside of the barrel with the dry rag. When you're done with that, you can now start cleaning the jag. To do this, you need to put a patch on and swiftly give it a pushing motion right through the jag. Don't do a drag in and out motion to avoid it from moving the dirt back and forth. Use a few patches and only stop when you're satisfied with the color that comes out after cleaning. The next step is to oil the gun using a Q-tip that has been dipped into the oil. You should not forget to oil up the, sl the slide rails of the gun and make sure you remove all the stuff in the areas that look shiny. You may want to put some more oil in the brightest parts because that's what is usually being overused. Don't forget to also put a little bit of oil on the recoil spring and cleaning it off with a rag to get rid of the excess. Don't overdo it though. You may only need about 4 drops of oil to clean the entire gun. Number 7. Now you can reassemble your gun after all the parts are clean. You should try dry firing it to know that all the parts are working. Although it is never recommended that you dry fire a firearm, it is better to do it now than in a situation that you need it and it does not work. When you're done, wipe it off with a microfiber rag to get the, to get the nice, clean, and smooth looking gun that you want. If you have gun cleaning tips that you would like to share, then please include them in the comments below. Okay, so uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out. Uh, just from all the, the different articles, I'm definitely I'm not a, a firearm expert. I don't claim to be. Um, I have never, in fact, I have read other firearm experts uh, do encourage you to, to dry fire. Um, and so, you know, they, that's one of the ways that you can uh, that you can practice. So, you know, if I'm wrong on that, let me know. But I have read that many, many times. So when I read uh, the very first time, you know, don't don't dry fire it or you shouldn't dry fire it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've read different different things uh, along the lines uh, throughout the years. The other thing I wanted to point out is that a lot of people that were new to preparedness, um, because of all the talk about uh, firearms and, and of course it had, it's not recently you know since Trump has been in office but uh, back in the day you know when Obama was there uh, you know all the time something happened people would start freaking out and they start talking about uh, you know fight you know Second Amendment and all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden uh, you know gun ammo would would fly off the shelves and and all that kind of stuff and people were going to the gun shows and trying to buy up all the all the firearms so there's a lot of people out there that have purchased because firearm cells were just like off the charts. So there's a lot of people out there with new firearms and maybe you've gone to the firing range a couple of times and you've shot it but then you brought it home and you never cleaned it. And so, you know, it's not that difficult. Sometimes it, you're like, man, I don't want to mess up my gun. But it really isn't that difficult to do. And so what I would encourage you, uh, not just to go off of this this article because this article is very basic and I don't know if I would feel comfortable. I mean, one of the reasons I read it was to get this information out there and just into I'll give me a little bit of uh, of a platform to be able to talk about it. I don't know if I would have been comfortable enough to clean a clean a firearm just with the information that this uh, this article gave. I guess if you have a little bit of a background, then maybe th this this article would help. What I would encourage you to do is to go to YouTube and pull up a video. Um, there are videos on generic uh, firearm cleaning. 
And so they just kind of go through the steps kind of exactly like this article right here, what this article did. Uh, and they'll go through the steps on, on, on a generic kind of gun, you know, or firearm. And so they'll walk you through those steps. But then what's even better is you could find, more than likely, you can find your specific firearm on YouTube and someone has already done a cleaning video on it. And so they will walk you through exactly what you need to, to do. And so if you have a laptop or even if you have a tablet, you can set up, you know, somewhere on a bench, wherever you're going to clean your firearm and you can start playing that video and stop it and start it and stop it and just let it walk you through exactly how to do it. And you'll realize how easy it is. And so if you have a firearm and you've purchased it and you really haven't done anything with it, then I'm going to encourage you to go do that. Uh, because it's not hard, you know, going to Walmart and buying some supplies uh, and you'll realize that you don't need to buy a lot of supplies or going to a sporting goods. You can buy a little kit, everything that's in there uh, and, and bring it home and kind of, you know, use that. You might need to buy some things, uh, you know, that, that are not in that kit. One of the things that they said in the comments is uh, you, maybe you want to like a boar snake. Uh, you want to be able to use a boar snake. And so there's a lot of comments here. Uh, you can go and, and, and read those and, and kind of bounce off of those. But I would encourage you because I, I know that it's really easy. I know people who have purchased firearms and they have they've shot them but, and they've taken them to the firing range, but they just do not want to clean them for whatever reason. They'd be willing to let people to pay people to clean their firearms. And it's just it's because it seems like it's so, uh, you know, so technical and it really isn't at all. It's very, very easy. And especially if you have that visual like that YouTube video uh, and, and you can even download those videos. There's ways to download them so you'll always have them if you're afraid that you won't have that to rely on later on down the road. But after you clean it a few times, uh, you, you'll get it down and you'll be able to go from there. So I highly, highly encourage you out there if you have a firearm that you have not cleaned to uh, you might want to come just read this article and you might get a little bit of uh, some you'll, you'll get some ideas off of this or maybe you go watch a video and then come back and read the article and then you're like okay I know I know what you're talking about here I know what you're talking about there and so uh, you know kind of go from there um, I think uh, there was like 28 comments here in this uh, in this article and there's uh, some links that you can click on as well and uh, to go to different different things here. All right, so that's over at the survivalistblog.net, Gun Cleaning Basics, How to Clean a Gun in 7 Easy Steps. All right, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me on episode 216 of the Prepper Website Podcast. I just greatly appreciate you being here. If uh, you want to connect with me, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always come over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and drop me a line in the comments section. I always love to hear from listeners. And so with that... Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.